everyone. This is Aaron for Sola Network, and I'm here today with Pastor Tom Sugimura. Pastor Tom, it's good to see you. Um, I've been reading your work for a really long time, but I think this is like the first time we're actually talking in person. Uh, it's good to talk to you. Yeah, definitely. Same here, Aaron. It's good to hear from you and um, good to work with you as well. You wrote an article recently uh, called How Japanese American Pastors Prepared Their Flocks for Internment. And this was about uh, sermons preached the Sunday before they were sent off, um, exhorting suffering Christians to find hope in Jesus and to continue um, gathering together. Uh, can you, yeah, just kind of introduce yourself, but then also talk briefly about your article if you can. Sure, yeah. Yeah, like you said, I'm a pastor, uh, pastor of church here in Woodland Hills, California. That's called New Life Church. And also I serve um, alongside with you on the editorial board for Sola Network. And I've written this article on uh, the Japanese American church during World War II and the internment. Um, I am half Japanese. My father's side is Japanese, uh, Sansei, third generation. Uh, so it's a little bit of family history as well as just interest in uh, what God was doing during that period, that season of life. So uh, the article was was written about sermons that were preached on the Sunday before evacuation, the Sunday before uh, the Japanese Americans on the Pacific West Coast were taken away uh, to uh, camps, assembly centers, relocation centers, and uh, most of them were behind barbed wire for about two or three years during the World War II period. Yeah. How did you go about researching this article? <laughs> that's that's a good question. Um, <laughs> a lot of it was, was uh, material that I've written previously. Um, I've written a, a lot of stories, a lot of articles, um, just for my own sake, uh, learning about these things. And so um, it, it came out of that. Uh, okay. But my goal was to see, you know, what would what would pastors say to their congregations? If, yeah. if you've got um, a few days before a, a an event, a date that is scheduled, um, you, you've got your constituents leaving their homes and, and going to an unlocation. What, what would you say to them? How would you encourage them? What uh, what would you counsel them with? And especially from God's word. And so I I started with that premise in mind and then I. Um, came across these sermons and it pretty much answered that question. Yeah. So the was it a book or something? Was it, it was unpublished? You said right. So was it like manuscript? What kind of form was this? And this was called the Sunday before. That's exactly what the, the right. thing was called. The Sunday before. It's an unpublished manuscript. It was manuscript. Put okay. Friends of the Japanese Americans, and um, it, it gives a little bit of historical background, a little bit of their biography, but really just walks through the the sermons that a number of these pastors preached on the Sunday before evacuation. And there were probably a hundred or so churches, Japanese American churches at the time of World War II. And so um, this is just a handful of them and, and what their pastors shared with their flocks at that time. Yeah. How did you feel when you found this unpublished manuscript? I, I mean, I feel like it's a gold mine, especially with your interest in it. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, I've been I've been reading about the internment since college, uh, kind of a hobby of mine, and I've probably read hundreds of books and resources and articles. And uh, it's interesting as a Christian, I'm looking for 
uh, where is Christ in all of this? Where's the church in all of this? And so uh, most of the things that have been written have been written from hist historical viewpoints, sociological viewpoints. So it's not trying to express the Christian viewpoint, even though that was a major factor uh, for many of these uh, Japanese Americans. Mm. Uh, and so 200 page book, you might get one or two pages on the church. And, uh, and so when I found this, um, sermons, uh, this is right up my alley. Um, I, I can I can pick apart the sermon, see what these pastors were trying to do, but I could also put myself in the in the pew and 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 think as a uh, church member, um, what would I what would I think about? What would I imagine as um, as as my pastor is preaching this to me? So yeah, it came it up from that perspective. Yeah, do you, do you feel removed? from the event do you feel like like time enough time has passed i mean obviously you you weren't there right but like i, I want to know like how how much do you feel when you're reading about this how does it affect you yeah yeah um there, there isn't the same emotional impact as if i was there in the camps um mm -hmm. my grandparents were in manzanar uh, my mm -hmm. aunt and my uncle my dad was born a few years after the camps um, so there's not that emotional, like I was there, I can experience, mm -hmm. I, you know, but it was my family's story. Uh, it was something that happened. Um, but as a, as a writer, I, I'm, I'm going in to try to put myself in those shoes as, as much as possible to empathize, to, um, to put myself in their shoes. And so, like I said, I'm, I'm thinking as a preacher. Uh, mm -hmm. What are the major themes here? What's the homiletical uh, process here? What are these preachers trying to do uh, to minister to their uh, flocks in the midst of suffering, as well as knowing that they're going through the same thing? So they're mm -hmm. preaching out of their own weakness. They're relying on the strength of Christ in their own weakness. Um, and then sitting in, the, in, in the, the pews as well and thinking to myself, well, imagine if, if I'm a, a young boy it's mm -hmm. it's the um it's the sunday before evacuation um, our bags are packed uh we've sold all of our material possessions for pennies on the dollar uh you know we've we've given away the deed to our house to our farm to our store our business whatever it might be to friends or whoever it is that that's going to take it from us you know i'm you know I, we can't even take pets with us or, or yeah. whatever it is yeah. so you know it's 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 having that mindset of sitting in church and this is the last Sunday I might hear from my pastor. Um, you know, this this is a church where I've grown up in. My parents have grown up in. We've built it with our own hands. And um, my pastor has one sermon to give me right. uh, before we uh, we head off to camp. Right. And uh, and so that you know, putting myself in in that position, it, it allows me to at least gain a, a small understanding of what. Uh, the, the Japanese Americans were going through during that time. Yeah. Uh, would you say that, I mean, you said you're coming at it from a preaching standpoint, right? So uh, would you say you're analyzing the, the sermons, you know, more than like sitting there trying to let it affect your emotions and things like that? Is that a fair way to look at it? Um, not, not so much um, from a, you know, preaching lab analytical. Okay. Okay. Uh, the these sermons, um, the, the pastors at this time, they're going through a ton of emotional struggles mm -hmm. themselves. They're mm -hmm. they're functioning as 
um, the the liaisons between the government and the people as some of those who are the only ones who can speak English. So they don't have a ton of time throughout their weeks to do exegetical study. And so a lot of this yeah. is just pouring out of their hearts. Right. It's emotional, it's narrative. They're drawing on um, favorite passages and characters in scripture. Um, they're bringing up the traditional hymns. And so a lot of what they're they're bringing out of these messages on the Sunday before it is not, you know, technically precise in terms sure. of sermon. So um, I'm not analyzing it in, in that sense, but more of the emotional impact on me. You know, how mm. does how how would I receive this if this was my pastor's message to me? I see. I see. Um, I want to talk about kind of how you got into this. I mean, you said that it was, you know, part of your family history. Um but I, I want to hear your journey because you, you earlier you said you started in high school, right? So when when did that kind of click to you? Like, hey, I, I have some family history here and I kind of want to know about that. And what was your journey like as, as you grew older and, and maybe got more info into all this? Can you kind of take us on that journey? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I it was college when I first started getting into it, reading oh, okay, okay. Uh, books and studying it for myself. And uh, we didn't really talk about it. Um, I wasn't a part of the Japanese American community growing up. Uh, my grandparents, um, that first generation, they never really talked about. They just called it camp. And you think maybe summer camp or yeah. But now they don't think you don't think about that. And so um, I didn't study it in school. Um, I didn't really have conversations with uh, my family. And so I learned it more um, by talking to people when I got to college and and learning about these things and. And realizing that that this was actually a big deal in American history, um, and also a big deal in our own story. And so, I began to to, to study it for myself um, during those times, and really just a organic kind of process um, of learning. Did you dive into books? Did you read old newspapers? What what was it exactly? You know, talk to your your family. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I obviously read books, um, went to went to films. Um, there's mm. uh, more on the college campus in terms of you can just explore whatever it is that you want. Um, over time, I have talked to different people, interviewed um, people. Uh, there's a treasure trove of resources now yeah. uh, that's available. And so um, I, I've kind of taken a second stab at it mm. uh, these last five, 10 years of looking at it through the perspective of being a pastor, um, right. being a biblical counselor, um, trying to uh, sort through all the all the ways that the church ministered to one another during the internment, and seeing all the similarities and the parallels to to how I'm seeking to minister to people in my congregation or um, those that are suffering that come for counseling. So there, there's a lot of similarities, a lot of parallels that um, the church has been doing the same thing. Um, all throughout the the years, and yeah. and so it's it's not a surprise to me that this is what I found, but it was um, encouraging uh, to see that this was what was happening during the internment period. Yeah, um, l- let's go ahead and just talk about that right now. Like, what what similarities do, do you see happening? Whether it's um you know specifically in the Japanese American church or evangelicalism at large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Japanese American church it was drawing upon a lot of um, a lot of the ministry that was traditional, that was conservative. And so at the time, obviously you had 
preaching, the public ministry of the word. You had uh, preachers who were digging deep into the scriptures and presenting it to their people, ministering to them week after week. Uh, and so I think preaching was uh, was a part of that ministry. You had uh, the ministry of presence. Mm. So just knowing that you had uh, a pastor who would shepherd you, who would go with you, who many of these pastors, they would go with their flocks into the camps. They were in the relocation centers. And during the first week or two, they would start churches so that mm. they could have a place to fellowship, a place to worship. Mm. So you have the ministry of presence. Um, you have uh, hymns, mm. uh, traditional hymns uh, that were sung for 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 years uh, in these Japanese American churches. Uh, that drew a lot of them together. And so as they as they think back on their Christian heritage, they're remembering not just scripture and precious truths from God's word, but also um, these rich lyrics in the hymns that they find uh, so encouraging. And so, uh, so you have um, the singing. Um, I think soul care was another big one. Mm. Um, and uh, in the camps, everybody was together. Everybody was packed within, you know, a few square miles. And, and so uh, you could as a minister, make all of your visits on a bicycle in a single day. And you're visiting people in their homes and you're knocking on their doors and you're evangelizing, you're discipling. And so there was um, there was probably even more ministry being done within the camps than there was uh, prior to the camps. Uh, and so part of God's sovereignty is that people came to Christ, people were discipled, they grew in their faith. I think the church itself grew during this period of time. And so um, there's a lot that that carried on um, even after the camps, um, but uh, much of that was cultivated in the midst of adversity. Um, I, I want to, the camps play such a big part, I feel like, in the Japanese American church. Can you give us maybe just, you know, even more of the history for, for our audience, maybe just broaden our eyes so we can get more of the picture, and then maybe say why why the Japanese American church is so unique and so special, even apart from, from the camps? That's good. Yeah. Um, starting in the camps, what you see is that the first generation, the Issei, uh, mostly immigrant, mostly Japanese speaking, um, that's where the pastors were. And and the the Nisei, the second generation, that they're probably 30 and under. So you you had a small percentage of the pastors in the Nikkei church, the Japanese American church, being English speaking. And yet I mean, you imagine today, you think about putting a 30-year-old in charge of a church <laughs> uh, or a 20-something-year-old in charge of a church. Yeah. Uh, that's what was happening in the camps. Mm -hmm. And so because of the need for ministers, especially to English-speaking population, uh, you had these 20-somethings uh, rise to the challenge mm. and being put into places of ministry leadership and given opportunities to pastor churches and preach sermons and to, and do visitations. Mm. And so when they exited the camps after World War II, uh, they had been trained in the midst of this really chaotic period of time. Yeah, And they came out of that wanting to go to seminary, wanting to become pastors. Um, uh, GEMS, uh, Japanese Evangelical Mission Society, was started about a decade later about uh, with just a bunch of people getting together for a prayer meeting and saying, let's reach Japan. For okay. missions. Yeah, for sure. And so you see um, you see this, this outgrowth uh, from the camps. Uh, you, you also asked, uh, what's the impact today? Yeah, um, yeah. 
like I said, there's there's missions. Um, Gems is an organization, particularly on the the West Coast, that is trying to reach Japanese people around the world. So mm-hmm. Japan, of course, uh, Brazil, Peru, other places, um, even to places that are not uh, Japanese speaking. So you have uh, that outgrowth. Um, I think you still have a number of churches that would say we are predominantly or historically Japanese American. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though the the church has brought in probably more of a pan Asian uh, dynamic at this mm-hmm. time, sure, uh, there are Japanese American churches, and, and one of those um, one of those benefits is there's still a need to reach out to the Japanese language or Japanese speaking population. Okay, so most Japanese American churches still have an older Nichigo or Japanese language. Um, congregation where they're ministering to people in their own heart language, mm. Bible studies. And that's something you probably wouldn't get in a non-Japanese church. Sure. Yeah. Evangelism is happening uh, because there's there's likeness in terms of community and culture and language and uh, even even appearance. And, and it's, it draws people in. And so I, I think, you know, the beauty of God's church is that it's big enough diversity wise for both integrated churches as well as ethnic uh, specific churches. And yeah. that's what we see in, in the Japanese American uh, community today. Yeah, so good. I mean, you know, I, I emailed you this, but, you know, personally, I've been impacted by Gems Ministry. Um, I never actually went to ACF, <laughs> but um, uh, my friends did. Um, and I actually grew up playing all the Gem songs, you know, learning all that stuff because my parents, um, yeah, my parents told me to play them. So I said, okay. <laughs> and I learned how to play them all. Um, but I mean, it's, it's amazing to see uh, the impact that it has uh, and it continues today too, you know, um, moving into the the generations, I think now at this point, um, I want to ask you um, how your research has impacted your preaching, um, especially in regards to these specific Japanese cultural issues, like, do you, do you shape your sermons around this type of stuff? Do you integrate your research into this? And then what advice would you give to those who want to preach or write or even just begin researching about their own heritage? So kind of a two-parter right yeah, there for you. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah, going going back just a step, um, you reminded me, mm. um, I, I, I started going to AACF, Asian American Christian Fellowship in college. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the ways um, I started to lead. I, st- I, I had opportunities to teach and preach and and, and lead Bible studies. And, and so um, that's one of the reasons I'm a pastor today is because of my opportunities in college to do ministry with AACF. Um, my my worship leader right now, Lowell Sue, he's uh, been involved with GEMS and, yeah. and worship leading with them. And, and, and so uh, there's a lot of connections there. Uh, but um, my experience um, in church and even as a pastor has been more in the white and Chinese American context than the Japanese American. So I, I, I don't have a ton of Japanese Americans in my congregation um, that okay. I'm pastoring right now. Um, so I wouldn't say I specifically tailor it in, in mm. terms of my research and my understanding um, sermons and ministry or whatnot, but there's so much richness that can be drawn out of these stories from the, the idea of joy in the midst of suffering, um, trusting God's sovereignty in the midst of adversity, um, learning how to see hope in, in the desert and in the darkness. And so 
there, there's all these different themes that mm. I carried over into my preaching and my writing. Yeah. Um, and then counseling ministry as well. Uh, mm. One of the things that I do as a counselor is I listen to people's stories. I love stories. I, I love listening to them. I love reading them. And so as a counselor, one of the things I do is just listen to people's stories and, and hear where they're coming from. And then I try to connect their narrative with the biblical narrative and then my own narrative and then God's meta narrative of creation, fall, re you know, redemption and consummation. And so as we connect all those circles together, they're starting to see a different way to, to frame their story and a different way that their story actually fits within God's bigger story. And so um, those are some of the ways that it impacts uh, my ministry. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it really just started as, a way to get to know my grandparents. <laughs> and, and, and it's it's morphed into something bigger than that as we continued on. Yeah. No, I think it's great. And I've been blessed by your work. Um, yeah. What advice would you give to to preachers or, or writers who want to start looking at their cultural heritage and maybe, you know, doing the research as well or writing about it? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, be curious. Ask good questions. Um, find out more. And 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 not with the goal of, of publishing an article or writing a book, um, but but to connect to build relationships, mm. and that's the biggest part of when you when you ask someone, hey, tell me your story, um, let me hear what what's been going on in your life, or, or, or tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, you're asking the person uh, to give you a little of themselves, and, and you're making that relational connection. Um, uh, just a side note, we've been. Um, we just wrote a memoir for my father-in-law, my, my, my wife's, my wife's dad, and mm. um, tells the story of his escape from Vietnam and um, just all the stories of his growing up. And, and, and one of the reasons we did it was not to write a book. Uh, it took us like five years to finish. <laughs> um, but one of the reasons we did it was to sit down with him and to have an opportunity to, to have those conversations and to show him the honor of saying, Hey, we care about your story. Uh, we want to hear about your your childhood. We want to learn about how difficult it was for for you and your family uh, coming over from Vietnam, and and it it was a chance to connect with him to this man that you know I can't speak his language, he can't speak mine, but my wife is translating and we're writing these things down, and 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 that's what sharing stories does for us. Mm. It's it's something that you know, humanity has done since the beginning of time, but sometimes we get too busy and, and we stop um, asking people, hey, what's your story? And I, mm -hmm. I think really just that's what writing is just a way of encapsulating it, but you don't have to actually write it down to 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 enjoy the the benefit of hearing stories. Yeah. No, Pastor Sean, that's a great way to end. I, I, I can't think of a better way to end this combo than with that. Thank you so much for sharing your story with everybody. Well, thanks for having me on, Aaron. I appreciate it. 